Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. This is Hugh Ballou. We're back for another, another exciting episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. We're getting up to around 375, somewhere in there, which means I've interviewed a lot of people over the last eight and a half years and really interesting people, really uh, passionate leaders who have a cause and are making a difference in the world. So I'm not going to spoil it uh, by giving you too much information, but I'm going to call on my guests and um, to introduce herself and talk about why she's doing this work. Our I'll give you a hint. Our title for the show today is Unleashing Hope, the Quest to Protect Survivors and Their Pets. RZ, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange and tell people about a little bit about who you are and your background. Um, thank you, Hugh. Glad to be here. My name is Dr. Orzi Cook. I um, have a 20-year career in public health. However, I've also, um, through my entire career, I've always volunteered, and I volunteered at my local domestic violence shelter here in Atlanta is where I live. Um, and I was first, um, I was not first introduced to domestic violence. I have a lived experience about that, but I was first introduced to the idea that often survivors will go back to to the environment where their abuser is to be with their pet um, because they just were concerned about the safety of their pet, having left their pet with an abuser. And in the case, and often they wanted to just the, the assurance and the safety and the support of having their pet with them or just knowing their pet was in a safer place than with their abuser. Um, and so oftentimes a survivor would go back to be with their, to be in the home with their abuser. And I didn't have the, the language or the resources to know how to address this issue, but I definitely recognized it as a barrier when I experienced this volunteer and domestic violence shelter. Later on from there, up until COVID, I volunteered at Humane Society. And during that same experience, I saw a different version of that. I would have survivors come and relinquish ownership of their pet due to going into a living situation that did not allow for pets or did not accommodate pets, um, which is a responsible thing to do for a survivor. They're moving into a housing situation. They necessarily don't want to leave the pet with the abuser, but they want to give it to someone who can take care of their pet. And so they relinquish ownership. But the thing about that is, is not what they really want to do. They want their pet back, but they're just in this unstable housing situation. And they feel that that's what they have to do is give up ownership of their pet. And so going into COVID, I also have a dog services business here in Atlanta. We do dog walks, things of that nature. But I had planned to move into having a physical building. And as I had planned to branch, continue the growth of my business, I knew that I wanted to house pets of domestic violence survivors. Um, it didn't happen that way, but I still had shared my vision with my cohort of clients and friends and family. And um, someone suggested I get on social media and just tell people my plan. And I did, and I just didn't even think of it. I thought it was something I'm doing as part of my business, not as a nonprofit, but just as a, a branch of my level of service to my community was housing pets of domestic violence survivors because I knew this was a barrier based upon my volunteer experience. Um, and then hence I shared my story. It resonated with a lot of people. People started supporting me. And then I decided to establish a nonprofit because I got all this feedback from people saying, oh, she's established a nonprofit. And I'm like, I just want to be, I just want to have a business that wants to do this level of community good. Um, and so then I decided to establish a nonprofit to house pets of domestic violence survivors. Um, and initially that was supposed to be here in Atlanta, but um, that didn't work out. But I decided to work on partnership 
with pet boarding facilities across the U.S. and pet fosters across the U.S., the house survivors anywhere in the U.S. So if any survivor anywhere in the U.S. is living in an abusive situation, they lack housing for their pet, we will pay for boarding at that at a pet boarding facility and with the long-term foster for the longer term for that survivor, taking away that barrier for a survivor leaving an abuser, the lack of housing for their pet. So that's how it started um, for Elaine's Backyard Foundation. Long story, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's a good story. And you're certainly energized and passionate about your work. Um, you don't even have to tell me, I can tell that. Um, so I'm, I'm right fond of Atlanta. I grew up there and I have a daughter and granddaughter there. So I, my first leadership lessons in high school and college were at the foot of Dr. Martin Luther King. And it was that was quite a quite an era to be alive and to be present. So Atlanta offers lots of opportunities, but your your footprint is much bigger and your influence is much bigger. So as you um, covered a lot of topics in that short explanation. Let me just go back and, and highlight some things. So um, why don't you talk about the unique bond between domestic violence survivors and their pets, and why it's so crucial to support this relationship? during the healing process. Go a little more in depth about that. Oh, very good. I actually just posted something on social media today about that in terms of just like I have a I have a pet. My my dog is Praline, Praline Pecan. Um, and she provides emotional support to me. She provides comfort to me. She is an assurance to me. She's like a stress reliever, just to, just to hold your pet is a relaxing. It's known that pets will lower our blood pressure. So imagine it's just me and I'm not, I'm not going through an abusive relationship at this moment. However, what, so if you were going through an abusive relationship and then you're having that withdrawn from you, that emotional support, that comfort, that sense of security then it really hinders your ability to heal from the trauma that you experienced with this abuser. So a survivor, a survivor, just like anyone going through um, a situation of drastic change, your pet becomes your lifeline of like assurance, comfort, love, support, all of those things. And so when a survivor is torn between, am I going to leave this abuser and leave my pet with this abuser? Um, and then in cases where they actually, survivors do leave with their pet with their abuser and they go into a shelter, or another level of housing, their level of healing is delayed because they're concerned about their pet. So we want to make sure that a survivor has the ability to heal with the assurance that their pet is safe. Um, and that healing um, is progressed is much better when they know their pet is safe. You know, when you look at um, the marketplace, I believe I've read many times that people spend way more money on their pets than they do their children. And in, in the in total, I guess more people have pets than they have children. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Or, or maybe they just go overboard with spending money. So it's it's um it's a pretty big energy field that people are engaged with. But never, I'm sure most people, ordinary people like me, never give it a thought. You know about all of these dynamics you're talking about. So it's it's important work that you're doing. So many shelters uh, do not accommodate pets. Mm -hmm. What challenges to do domestic violence survivors face when de when deciding between personal safety and well-being of their beloved animals? Talk a little bit about that. That's a challenge. 
Yeah, less than twenty percent of domestic violence shelters in the U.S. accommodate pets or make some um some accommodation or housing for pets. Um, accommodation means they were uh, domestic violence shelter may work in partnership with the animal welfare agency, or they may actually house pets on site. But it's important to recognize that unfortunately, sometimes an abuser will use a pet, such as a dog, as a means of threatening for a survivor. So you can't necessarily have a shelter that house pets and a survivor who may have been traumatized by a dog because their survivor, I'm sorry, their abuser used a dog as a means of control and as a as a, a thing of fear, unfortunately. Um, so that's why that, that's a really um, hard medium for shelters to really balance because they don't want to reintroduce someone to trauma in a shelter environment um, by housing pets as well. Um, and so with the idea that, and the, there's a goal now among the um, domestic violence and animal welfare space is that shelters by 2025, 25% of domestic violence shelters will be pet friendly. However, even with that goal by 2025 that shelters will be pet friendly, that still means 75% of them are not, not, not pet friendly. And that also means that is a big barrier for a survivor to leave an abuser is lack of housing for their pet. Because statistically it says that 52% of survivors delay leaving an abuser due to lack of housing for their pet. So we can decrease those numbers and really let every survivor know and every person in the U.S. know that if you're leaving an abuse situation, there is accommodation for your pet via pet boarding facilities and pet fosters across the U.S. via Praline's Backyard Foundation and a number of other organizations that do similar work as we do. And so our goal is always, it has been, and will continue to be to educate 10 million people on the barrier survivors experience. That represents the 10 million people that experience domestic violence each year in this country. And those are documented cases. We recognize not everyone that experiences domestic violence is documented or, or documented in the legal system. So we want to just educate 10 million people. And we do that by telling the story every day. Wow. You keep uncovering more things that I <laughs> never knew about. So I learned something every week. This is, this is a quantum leap. So, so, um, all right, uh, folks, you're listening to or watching The Nonprofit Exchange. You can find all the episodes at the, T-H-E, nonprofitexchange.org, O-R-G, thenonprofitexchange.org. A lot of great episodes. This one will be right at the top when you go there, if you go there now. But you might be listening to this a year from now, and um, you'll you'll maybe be pleased to go to the website. We're going to give you that in a minute, find out all the stuff that's happened in that year, uh, because this woman is making it happen. So um, Dr. Orizzi Cook is our guest today. So am I thinking about this stuff? Uh, Praline's Backyard Foundation is the name of your, your nonprofit. It's a unique model partnering with pet boarding facilities and fosters. Can you share some of the success stories that showcase the transformative impact of these partnerships, both survivors and their pets? Definitely. Thank you. Um, so one thing about, I tell people every day that pet, pet, as you mentioned earlier, the pet industry is huge and it's growing by billions every year. So along those same lines, every day, a pet boarding facility has space to house a domestic violence survivor. And at the same time, a domestic violence survivor delays leaving an abuser due to lack of housing for their pet. So my idea and the idea, the, the premise of the foundation is to partner with pet boarding facilities to house a survivor's pet because they have open space and we have a need for a survivor's pet to be housed, right? So by bringing those two those two, those two people that have a need together, the shelter has a need for 
the space to be filled either by money or whatever. And then the, the domestic violence survivor needs sheltering for their for their pet so they can leave their abuse situation. Um, so that so that's how we work in partnership. And any pet boarding facility in the U.S. is eligible to be a partner with us. And they can provide boarding facilities providers shelter at free, reduced costs, or just at the, or just at the cost. We'll pay for it. Um, and we'll pay for it for seven days while we find a pet foster for the longer term. And so a particular case that we have, um, just I have, I have pet boarding facilities reach out to me all the time saying, oh, can we be listed as an option in our community, which is great. And in response to that, we'll showcase that pet boarding facility on our social media, just because we want to build awareness and build community, because it's not just about Praline's Backyard Foundation, it's about addressing the need in each of our communities across the U.S. I live in Atlanta, however, there's domestic violence in every city, every small town in this country. Um, additionally, along those same lines, um, particular case I can highlight is that um, we had a, a survivor in um, Florida. She had two cats and we worked in partnership with the pet boarding facility and I'm going blank on the name at the moment. Um, and the, what happens when a survivor contacts us, we identify a pet boarding facility or they identify one. They will take their pet to that pet boarding facility and we'll make arrangements for a foster to pick up that pet from that pet boarding facility. This particular survivor, we connected her with a, um, a pet foster in, in her area. And that particular foster was actually also worked at a cat rescue. And so she really understood the trauma that cats and or just pets in general can experience coming out of abusive relationships. And so she was able to really help those cats adjust to this new environment temporarily where she housed them. Because I, I really stressed and I'm, I train our fosters in the sense of that when you have a pet coming out of an abuse situation, they may have trauma as well. And so they may be a little skittish of new people. They're, they're also away from their primary caretaker. And so there's a moment of, there's a level of adjustment. You have to be patient with this pet as they enter into your home. And so this particular foster, because they had worked in um, pet rescue, they worked in cat rescue particularly, they were able to really um, help these cats and they, they flourished under her care. And then we were able to reunite those two cats with the survivor after a period of time. And we were able to do that because we had worked in partnership with the pet boarding facility and this pet foster. And then when that pet foster took the pet, the, those cats back to the boarding facility. She also left a care package for that survivor, just letting her know different things about the cat. She left her a gift card just as a, just, just to help her because obviously she's adjusting. And so it really was a thoughtful gesture on the, on the part of that pet foster, but also talks about the importance of community. When we all work together to help each other in the community, it really builds a, a it, it helped that, that foster be able to provide assistance to someone in her community. And she could see how it really helped. And that, that survivor was reassured that people really care about her. And somebody didn't even know her went out of their way to care for her pets for up to six months. And it gave her a gift basket just as a way of helping her along. And so I think that's, that's the, and I have numerous cases like that. That's just one that happened most recently that it really just, it just speaks to so much how many hands make light work and we all play our part in addressing a need that different needs in this country we're, we're better for it as a community yay 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 so you've mentioned fosters i want to make sure people are understanding the full depth of what you're talking about we we've heard of foster care for teenagers so just elaborate on what you're saying fosters for pets just a minute please okay so someone can take um essentially adopt temporarily 
adopt a foster a person's pet for up to six months. That's the longest period of time that we um, allow, not allow, but uh, provide housing for a survivor's pet. And at that six months mark, if not before, those pets go back to the survivor. That, that pet is not, you're not adopting that pet. You're not getting that pet forever. You're just getting that pet for a period of time until that survivor is able to get back on their feet and be able to be reunited with their pet. Okay, I thought so. I just want to be clear if people mm -hmm. have not real familiar with that that are listening. So in your journey with the foundation, I'm going to explore this from a couple of couple of different perspectives. Um, so I want to, what are the most significant, some of the most significant barriers in addressing the intersection of domestic violence and pet safety? And how is Praline's Backyard Foundation innovatively overcoming those barriers? And when you talk about overcoming the barriers with that. Talk about your journey in starting this and leading this. So certainly if you've learned some things and maybe everything you did wasn't perfect from the start. So to inspire others, I mean, you've gotten to a significant place. So share what you want to, but you know, you've learned some things along the way yourself, but there's two questions there. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just writing them down so I can make sure I can hit both of them when you, um, as you say them. So yes, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, um, the, I guess the barrier I have experienced, um, I'll say, is really raising awareness. I think that's education is probably the biggest barrier we all experience. And so first, we know that there's a need, right? But not everyone recognizes it. They don't even know it. Like when I've told people the story of what we do, people automatically, oh, wow, that's, that makes sense. But they never thought about it. People think about children, think about other things. They don't think about the fact that there are pets. Like one in three households has a pet. And we know that sorry, one in two households has a pet and one in three households a domestic violence occurs. Um, so it's like, if that's the rate, then we know that there are their pets involved, right? And so, and if a pet, do we leave a pet with an abuser? Do we leave a pet, um, and, and, and if that survivor takes the pet with them, what housing is available to them, right? And so we know some hotels, some people, some people have means for a hotel, some people have means with family and friends, but not all family and friends like pets. They may like us, but they may say like they're our pets. And so, and then it's like, and then there's shelters, as I mentioned earlier, less than 20% provide housing for pets. And so I think really education is a major barrier. Um, and I think that, and also money, we cannot negate the importance of money because money provides housing, money provides advertising, money provides, helps raise awareness. But we do have the benefit of social media in terms of it's free in a sense. Um, and it provides, we're able to to expand our voices that way. And I was able to do that through social media because I I, I got on social media as a result of Praline's Backyard Foundation. Initially, I was hesitant just because I'm not really a face. You couldn't have told me five years ago I would be on social media and that thousands of people would know, would know what I look like besides my family and friends. Like I would never have believe that no one ever said that. Oh, no, I would never do that. So that's that's definitely getting getting over myself, knowing that this isn't about me. This is about me helping somebody else. If you put, so seeing my face helps you make a decision to donate, to volunteer, to give, to provide housing for a survivor's pet, then I don't mind being the face of Freeland's Backyard Foundation and being the face of domestic violence awareness and, and taking down the barriers of survivors with pets experience. I have no problem with that. Um along those lines you said what did I what have I learned in this space? I've learned to um to, to just to share the story it just to, just to speak the truth and people will respond I think that um I I, I really had to always to ask for money because I feel like people will hear this people will hear the story and they'll be resonated with that they'll resonate like when you go to church on Sunday or Saturday um when the pastor asks you for to make a donation people that are going to give they're going to give you don't have to go start pleading people do plead but really you know you're going to give 
Because if I'm going to give $1,000 today, I'm going to give $1,000. No matter how many times you ask me, it's not going to change. I'm going to give a dollar. I'm going to give a dollar. So it's just, that's just how we are. But if someone compels you and you hear a story and it resonates with you and you really, and you, and you believe in the pastor's ministry or you believe in the cause that you're supporting, you will give. And so if anyone out there, if you resonates with you, you, you understand the, the importance that pets play in any of our lives, not because you're a survivor of domestic violence or you know this person, but because you recognize the role that pets play in providing us emotional support, providing us comfort, really giving us love unconditionally, then and you want to make sure that no survivor stays with an abuser who does not treat them in a loving way, who does not respect them as a person, and you want to make sure they don't leave that pet with that person, then definitely support us by providing housing, being a pet foster, volunteering. I always tell people, you can like, follow, and share our content, and it takes costs you nothing. It costs you like a second of your time to help us raise awareness. Preach it. Preach it. Come on. <laughs> All right. Um, we got five minutes. I got two good questions left, so let's see if we can squeeze them both in. The power okay. of community is unmatched in driving change. How can individuals, businesses, and other organizations get involved and support the mission of Praline's Backyard Foundation? Um, definitely. Well, like I, I, I said, you can also raise awareness to whatever your, your, your area of influence. We all have a realm of influence, whether or not you write books, whether or not you are a newscaster, whatever your, your area of influence is, you can help educate a person on the barrier of survivors with pets experience. I, every day I, I, aim, I aim to raise awareness among a population of people that do not know. Um, and with that goal, then that one more person has a better chance of being, a, being able to leave an abuse situation with their pet. So you have a website, and I'm going to show it oh, here. Yeah. For watching, <clears throat> if you're on um, audio podcast, it's pralinesbackyardfoundation.org, P-R-A-L-I-N-E-S, pralinesbackyardfoundation.org. So I'm going to show it. So <clears throat> you talked about, and it's going to scroll down the page here. So you've got a lot of, you know, what's in the news about you, the donate button, so you got traditional things here, but you scroll down, really some cute pictures here. Mm -hmm. You scroll down and you got, wow, you've really brought us some donations. You got 43,100 people in the community, followers. Your goal is 10 million. So there's, there's a place people can come together and have a unified voice to do good. I commend you on that. So it's, it's pralinesbackyardfoundation.org is where you can find it. There's even send them us a message. So it's a two-way conversation. It's just not just you reading, it's you talking. And I, I bet, or is he, that you answer these, don't you? Yes, I do. Um, any message, because people, and I told people, people reach out to me all the time. It could be a survivor who left their abuser five or 10 years ago, even 20 years ago. Um, and they share their story. And it's like, and it reaffirms the reason why I do this work. Because when I hear the stories of survivors who left their pet behind, or they told me how they went back to be with their their be with their pet because of their abuser and the difficult things that happened when they went back, it reaffirms the fact that the reason why Praline's Backyard Foundation exists. I want to make sure that no one goes back. I want to make sure that no one has to leave a pet behind with an abuser because I want that survivor to be able to heal and grow and flourish with their pet as they continue on with their life without their abuser. Sweet, and we're gonna get the last question in. Hooray! You've covered a lot of good stuff today. Thank you. And we're, you've able to say a lot of stuff and we've still stayed within our timeline. This is super. 
looking ahead now, headlights, not taillights, looking ahead, where do you see Praline's Backyard Foundation in the next five years? And what does the community engagement uh, play? What role does the, does the community engagement uh, play in reaching those goals? Um, the community plays a vital role because I, I say again, many hands make light work. I want as many hands as possible. And part of that, our goal over the next five years is to establish a mobile app where a community member can join that app to be a pet foster, a volunteer, a pet boarding facility owner can join that app and say, I will house a pet for seven days for free or discounted rate for to support survivors in my community by housing a pet. And also we wanna connect, we want a survivor to be able to interact with that act to request housing for their pet, request assistance for themselves and other resources that a survivor may need as they leave an abusive situation. So really it takes many hands, make light work. So it's a community effort and I ever um, need to do that. That's why I, that's what we need to do. How, how great that is, how inspiring this has been. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm going to do a little commercial about our community because it's my show. Uh, <laughs> so people like you come together in the nonprofit community. Center Vision, actually, you go to nonprofitcommunity.org and you can join this community for a small payment every month. You get hundreds of dollars of resources and the camaraderie peer-to-peer -peer, and lots of resources. And if you need to know something, you can go look in your library of resources. It's sort of like you see a commercial for tires, but you don't need tires, so you pass on it. But all this stuff's there, and you can go find the tire company because you heard about them. Well, in the community, you may not need everything at once, but sometime you're going to need everything I've created. So there's a wealth of resources, peer-to-peer -peer support. And since you're national, we have a national audience, people that help each other around the globe. So it's a by invitation, or is it you're invited to join? It's nonprofitcommunity.org. And if you're listening to the show, you are invited because we know where your heart is. So, Arzi, it's been a fireball of an interview. What do you want to leave people with uh, as we finish up today? Well, I want everyone that's listening to definitely take a moment to go to Praline's Backyard on all whatever social media platform that you, you engage with to follow, like, and share and help us spread awareness about the barrier survivors with pets experience. Help us raise a community of 10 million people that know about the barriers of survivors and also essentially become an advocate by you sharing information with the one person. Each of us did that. 20 million people would know. So help us raise awareness. Thank you so much. That's a model of what each one of us should do. Orzi, thank you for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.